Awesome. Well, I had one of those weeks. I had one of those weeks where I had a topic on my mind. Um, God gave me a while ago, and you know, I, I can tell God actually has something else or deeper to say when I'm about Wednesday and I'm really struggling with just one page. So that's a good sign to just stop because I end up deleting it all anyway. But I found myself drawn to something. I wouldn't say something else because it's not about a different. It's just, it was like, it was like, I was at the surface on like Monday through Wednesday, and God was like, not going deep enough yet. And then by the end of the week, it was like, oh, that. <laughs> so are you with me this morning? It's good. All right, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's all right. It's on the screen every time. Oh, but listen to those pages, though. What would happen if all of a sudden all screens were gone forever? What would we do? We'd be just fine. Matthew chapter, or sorry, Luke chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 43, so if it's easier, you can go to Luke chapter 7 and rewind, because it's right at the end. Luke chapter 6. Verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars like you do in December outside. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the heart, evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Yeah, that's enough right there. We just preach that, Jesus. It's good. Lord, we just say yes. Holy Spirit, we just say yes to the, the thin space that is this morning. I just want to say that. For those of you in the room who are maybe wondering, is Holy Spirit, is God doing a deep work in this room? The answer is yes. We're here for you. So Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open our ears. These are just words on a screen. You are the one that brings power. You're the one that brings these words to life. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can't see this right now, but Olive had my iPad this morning, and she also had glazed donuts. There's literally this layer of glaze on my iPad right now. So if I like lick my finger and wipe a little bit, I'm having a little snack. <laughs> Just joking. When a caterpillar becomes a moth or a butterfly, it goes through something called metamorphosis. It's a deep change, or a deep change sorry, in the overall structure and the essence of the caterpillar. It's not like someone walks up to a caterpillar and slaps some wings on it and says, oh, sweet, there's a butterfly. Right? It's far deeper than that. It's leaving the old behind in order to become something brand new. Metamorphosis comes from the Greek word metamorpho. I don't have it on the screen right now. Um, you wouldn't be able to probably read it anyway. I had to look it up and have somebody pronounce it for me. We see this Greek, or we see this Greek word all through the New Testament. Metamorpho. It, it translates into the English word transformation. 
It's, it's leaving the old way behind in order to become something brand new. We've been in a series called Kingdom Community, The Way of Jesus. And we've been pulling back the layers week after week, looking at what it looks like to follow Jesus, not just as individuals, but as a community together. And one of the first, if not the first invitation we have recorded in the Bible from Jesus is this in Matthew chapter 4. It says, where Jesus, it's recorded that Jesus said, repent. You're, <laughs> sorry, repent. Mm, sorry. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, Jesus is saying, leave the old way in order to go somewhere brand new. That's why the earliest followers of Jesus called themselves followers of the way, capital W. It was a way of life. They left the old behind in order to follow the way of Jesus, a new way. But this life wasn't based on simply just doing all the right things. Jesus didn't come to give, give these people behavioral modification. Jesus was inviting people into transformation, a whole new way of being filled with the presence of God. This wasn't a kingdom that was built on a political power saying this is good. This wasn't a religious power saying it was good. This wasn't a culture that was saying, yes, this is good. This was a kingdom where everything was built on what God said was good. Hard stuff. And this small group eventually became the very beginnings of the church. And now we're here in this room today on Graham and Ann Island. The small group of men and women who really, in and of themselves, were nothing special. Honestly, most of them were nobodies. Remember last week we talked about you know, the honored and the shamed in society. They were, most of them were down here. But they had experienced the good news of Jesus, and this good news had actually transformed them from the inside out. They had become new people, living in a new kingdom. This transformation led them to a deep devotion to Jesus. There was nothing casual about the life that they lived. This was a way of life that didn't have an off switch. It didn't have compartments. They, they had become new. And we read this in Acts chapter 2. We love to read this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Come on. We're ready to go this morning. What would make a random group of people, though, honestly, though, what would make a random group of people that have nothing in common other than this give their entire lives all of a sudden to live such a countercultural life? Because this is dangerous. We talked about it last week with Rome and the religious powers of the day. This was not a popular way to live. It wasn't even that it was popular. It was dangerous. What would make a group of people do that? transformation at the very deepest level 
by the presence of God. They became a living and breathing invitation to the good news of Jesus in everything they did. Their friendships were different. Their finances were different. Their marriages were different. Literally every part of their lives was rebuilt on Jesus. A total transformation, including their speech, the words they used, by what they said, or maybe even sometimes what they didn't say, how they talked to people inside, but also how they talked to people outside the community of Jesus' followers. Words are significant, aren't they? What we say, and oftentimes even how we say it, it holds so much weight. A single positive word from the right person can make our day, can't it? But the, the opposite's also true. A single negative word from the wrong person can absolutely derail our day. So here's the question we're asking this series. How is a community of people built around following Jesus the best news this world could receive? And specifically today, I want to look at our words. What we say. What does the good news of Jesus have to say about our speech? Let's uh, jump back into the words of Jesus here in Luke 6. Jesus is again with his closest friends, and he's, he's showing them, his followers, he's showing them in real, ordinary, day-to-day life examples what living rooted in the goodness of God actually looks like. And let's jump back right here in verse 43. Jesus says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear uh, good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man, this is my favorite verse in this whole section, a good man brings good things out of his heart stored up in his heart. I got the words mixed up. (laughs) And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Or as another translation says, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Shapers. Right here, Jesus is getting into the very essentials of what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus goes to the very root, pun very much intended. He goes to the source, the thing behind the thing, what makes us do what we do and what makes us say what we say. The heart. Now, one quick note before we move on. In the ancient world and in the first century, when, when the, someone talked about the heart, especially like Jesus is right here, he's not talking about the organ in your chest pumping blood throughout your entire body. The heart was a way to reference the thing that makes you you. It's, it's your beginning place. It's where your motivations come from. It's your why. It's your reasons. Again, it's what makes you you. So when we're talking about the heart this morning, that's what I'm talking about. Because this is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the very core of who you are. One writer I read this week actually called it your inner life. Let's break this down a bit more. Jesus is talking about the transformation of the heart through this metaphor of a tree and its fruit. One of the major signs of a, of that, a, that a tree is healthy is from the fruit it produces, Right? If the tree is functioning as it should, or the plant, what will happen? It will produce fruit. The fruit, uh, the fruit produced, sorry, I got my notes mixed up, is a sign that the tree is healthy. Right? So let's keep going. How does the tree stay healthy and receive the nutrients and the life that it needs? 
the roots. Without healthy roots, you can't have a healthy tree. And without a healthy tree, you can't bear fruit. Verse 43, Jesus says, no good tree bears bad fruit. It's impossible. Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. But then Jesus goes even further in verse 43. Each fruit is recognized by its own fruit. Right? People, are, people do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. You cannot make a tree produce a fruit it was never designed to create. Right? If you have an apple tree, you're not going to go out one day and pick oranges. Right? And that's a fairly obvious metaphor. Like, duh. So why is Jesus using this really obvious example and metaphor to describe this? Well, too often, we try to produce fruit in our lives that the tree is not healthy enough to actually produce. We try to be healthy or happy and a joyful person, but we can't seem to shake this deeper anger and bitterness. So no matter how hard we try, it just comes out. Or we try to be a peaceful and a non-anxious person, but we can't seem to slow down and we're always anxious day after day after day. Or we try to be a loving and a forgiving person, but this pull to be angry and hateful and vindictive just always seems to take over and we don't know where it comes from. Key word in all those examples is try. We try, don't we? We try so hard to be good people, do the right things, say the right things. We check all the right behavioral boxes, but there's always that moment. Someone says the wrong thing to us, and it just sets us off. Or you're walking down the living room, and this morning it's the Barbie foot that was sticking up out of the ground. <laughs> I stepped on it right in the arch of my foot, and I was like, oh, yeah. Good morning, lamest family. <laughs> right, or you're putting the dishes away and you forgot that you left the cabinet open and so you get back up and... Right? <laughs> Never happens to me. But something happens. And what's actually in our heart, our roots actually comes out, doesn't it? The fruit of the tree through our mouths. Our words, what we say, oftentimes it shocks us though, doesn't it? Oh man, where did that come from? Well, our words come from a deeper place than we often realize. Whether we like it or not, our mouths become the window into our hearts. What is truly deep eventually comes erupting to the surface through the words that we say. We can't produce good fruit if our roots are bad. Jesus gets straight to the point, though, here in verse 45. He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart. The, the opposite is true, too. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Or as Jesus said, too, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So if this is actually true and the, the window into our heart is our words or are our words, this is both a very beautiful and terrifying truth, isn't it? This is what makes an encouraging word so powerful. It's what makes it so uplifting, so life-giving. Is this popping too much or are you guys all right? We're good? Awesome. It makes it so motivating, right? It's like your, your mom or your dad or your grandfather or grandmother saying, well done. It's just like, oh, thank you. 
Or it's your spouse saying, I love you. Or it's your child saying, thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. It just lifts you up. But at the same time, it's also what makes words a weapon. It's the you're not good enough. You're dumb or you're stupid. You're ugly or you're worthless. Right? It's the bully on the playground screaming insults in your face. Or it's the gossip you overhear as you're having a coffee trying to just ignore that it's happening right beside you. Or it's the self-talk through your head because of something someone said to you when you were a kid. Last week we said that human relationships can be the source of so much pain in our lives, but I would say that words are a very close second, if not tied for first. Our words can heal, but our words can wound so deeply. Rabbi Abraham Heschel said this, words create worlds. That's very powerful three words right there. I think that's so true. Someone's life can be set on course or absolutely derailed by a single word. And we live in a world right now where wounds are being thrown around like wildfire because of spaces like Facebook and Twitter. Because now we have the beautiful gift of actually hurting each other without having to see each other face to face. Makes it a lot easier to say those things sometimes, doesn't it? But to make ourselves feel better, who have we wounded along the way? Here's the most honest, really, and important question in all of this. How do we fix our tongue? (laughs) You let me know. It's hard. Sometimes it just bursts out of you. How do we fix our words? We know that our own willpower is not good enough, so there's got to be a different way. James, the brother of Jesus, said this, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He's not holding back punches today. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. There's a line for you. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. We're in need of a better way. A way that simply doesn't just give us a list of better behaviors or proper words to use, but a way that transforms the place our words come from. And the profound truth is, this is the exact work, the healing work Jesus wants to do. Transformation. This is at the heart of what it means to live in a kingdom of, or the kingdom of heaven. From the very beginning of our Bible, we read about a God who is after our root after our heart, what makes us us in in passionate pursuit of his people, even when his people turn their back on him. In Ezekiel 36, um, God speaks through a prophet and he says this, and moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. This is Old Testament. This isn't new. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Or God speaks through another um, prophet, Jeremiah, and says, I will give you a heart to know me, for I am the Lord. And they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. Or another way to say that is with their whole being. 
Let's go back to Ezekiel for one more second and keep reading. I will put my spirit, capital S, in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God has never simply been about fixing our behaviors or making us nice people. He's been after our hearts. The source of everything that comes out of us. Fixing our behaviors, it's just not good enough. This is the good news of Jesus. It's like when Jesus encounters the man at the pool. Do you remember in our first week of this series, we talked about when Jesus met the man at the pool who had been there for, for decades. And Jesus asks him such a deeply profound question. Do you wish to be well? Do you want me to transform you? C.S. Lewis wrote this in Mere Christianity. It's a rather long quote, but it's just too good. A world of nice people content in their own niceness, looking no further, turned away from God, would just be as desperately in need of salvation as a miserable world and might even be more difficult to save. For mere improvement is not redemption. Though redemption always proves or improves people even here and now and will in the end improve them to a degree we cannot yet imagine. God became man to turn creatures into sons. Not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It's not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. Or if I was a true English literature scholar, I would have said a winged creature. (laughs) Gradually got there. But isn't that good? It's not about making the horse jump better. It's about giving him wings. Have you ever heard any better news than that? Every other selfish kingdom in this world tells us to perform. Right? You've got to prove yourself. Prove that you're good enough. Prove that you're worthy. If you don't say the right thing in the right way, you are no longer welcome here. Right? That's, that's a pretty normal narrative you and I live in every day, whether we realize it or not. But Jesus says, as we came to the table this morning, come to me. You're invited. All who are weary and burdened, all of you who are worn out and exhausted from trying to prove yourself and to fix yourself, just come to me. Because I'll give you what you're looking for. Jesus doesn't shy away from the fact that we're in need of help, new hearts, transformation, but he doesn't leave us there. It's like a good doctor who actually points out the sickness that we need healing from. He invites us to come. This is the good news the world around us needs to see. The good news of Jesus actually transforms us, even our speech. A kingdom community so deeply rooted in the transforming goodness of God, we speak differently. We speak with love and grace to one another. When the words coming out of our mouth are full of the very love and the, and the grace that God pours out onto us, too often we let our words simply line up with the kingdoms around us and we look no different. So if this is true, if we are in need of a deep transforming work that only Jesus can do in us and to take place deep in our hearts, how does that even happen? Because there may be some of you in the room that are like, is that even even true? Because that's a big deal if it is. 
Let's look at uh, what Paul says to the church in Rome. He says this in Romans chapter 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be metamorpho or transformed by the renewing of your mind. If we desire the Holy Spirit to transform us, we have to acknowledge we need it. That's the first step. We have to acknowledge the truth that we're in need of help. We've kind of tapped out. Can't do it. I can't do it. It's like when Jesus says, repent. You're not going the right way. Stop. Turn around. Paul says in a couple chapters earlier in Romans 10, if we declare with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Can you see it? Our words and our hearts are deeply connected. When our heart's deepest desire is to be made right, made whole, transformed by the goodness of God, it will naturally come out of our mouth. Right? Like it's there and it comes out. It has to. We have to acknowledge that we are not good on our own. Let's go back to the metaphor that Jesus is using with the tree for a second. For a tree to get healthy and start producing a good fruit, the gardener has to inspect the tree, right? Are the roots rotting? Is the soil dried up? Is it getting enough water? Is it getting enough sun? Are there, are there dead branches that are sucking the life out of this tree? But the gardener doesn't just walk away at that point. He wouldn't be a very good, or she wouldn't be a very good gardener at that point. Then the gardener begins transforming the tree back to to health by fixing what is broken. Right, just like a gardener who loves their garden and who wants to make it healthy, God desires to do that in you and in me. It's not a burden to him. It's not a burden to him. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He's faithful. I'm gonna say it again, he is faithful. And just and will forgive our sins and purify us. Transformation. I didn't get to look up what purify there is in the Greek. I wonder if there's a tie there between the two. Purify us from all unrighteousness. Did you catch it again? What was the first thing if we what? Confess from our mouth with our words honestly sharing with the Father our need for him. He is faithful to do the deepest healing and transforming work you and I could ever imagine. But it starts with us first acknowledging the fact that we need it. Then what we discover is the presence of God begins to give us a new heart like he was talking about in Ezekiel. Transforming the broken heart in you and in me and our defaults begin to change. You experience an invitation to respond differently. God is having his way in you. The next time you see someone in ang or an angry rant on Facebook and all you want to do is get involved. <laughs> and you want to join the fray. But all of a sudden you hear maybe this whisper in the back of your head, just walk away. Just leave it. Or the next time someone gets in your face and you want to tell them where to go, a different urge kind of rises up in you and it you start listening to it and it's telling you to just give your anger over to Jesus. Don't go there. So you listen, right? Or the next time your kid's screaming in your face, like it will probably happen around two this afternoon, 
Instead of screaming back, what you find is there's a little whisper of a desire to hold your kid just a bit closer and say, are you doing okay? I love you. And it starts overwhelming you. And then we respond to that. Or as we like to talk about, we follow Jesus. It's really that ordinary. But also that miraculous at the same time. Literally, we follow Jesus' example. We let the Holy Spirit guide and lead us, and we do it. Because it's one thing to have the Holy Spirit begin to transform us, but it's a whole other thing to actually start listening to him. There's a word for that, and it's called obedience. We don't like that word. Obedience, why? Because what does obedience mean? Submission. It's not a popular word in our world right now. We can really summarize this entire thing of heart transformation with two words. Four, two. Two words. <laughs> Math. Two words. Surrender and obedience. Surrender and obedience. Humbly surrender to the good news of Jesus, allowing God to transform not our behaviors, but the heart that produces the behaviors. And then obey what he says. It's like the old hymn. You can sing it with me. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. It's the what? Trust and obey. We've been singing it for generations. What if this was what Lighthouse Church was known for on Graham and Ann? A community of people humbly surrendered to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit and simply walking in obedience in ordinary life. Where instead of joining in on the gossip, we invite others to start praying for our friends. Where instead of losing our temper with angry words, we take a deep breath and give that anger over to Jesus where we encourage and lift up those who are on the fringe of society because everyone else has told them you're not good enough, but his blood speaks a better word over you. Where we don't tear down those who are different, but instead speak words of love and grace and truth as Jesus would. What would, we, what would it look like if we let our words be submitted to the Holy Spirit? We would see less gossip and more praying over one another. We would see friends become family. We would see reconciliation and forgiveness never ending. This is kingdom community. Not a group of nice people doing nice things with nice results. No thank you. Sounds boring. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. A community of Jesus followers transformed by the Holy Spirit. Now that sounds good. Then, in the ordinary day-to-day -day life, people are invited to see the goodness of God by the lives you and I live. This is my burden and my dream for us as Lighthouse Church, as your lead pastor. Because this is the work God has been doing in me for years. I grew up, I could say all the right things, tick off all the boxes, and I could live a completely different life. God was like, that's not going to cut it, man. I'm after your heart. 
I'm after your heart. And you know what? It looks a lot less epic than I thought it was going to. Actually, it looks very ordinary. But very transformational, too. What would it look like if that's who Lighthouse Church was? Where we look different because we've actually tasted and seen the goodness of God. And it actually has changed every part of how we live. We're a space in the world. We're a space in the world where the culture of heaven, or maybe the way Jesus said it, the kingdom of heaven, is in the midst of a people filled with the presence of God. Because this is how the early church grow. They didn't have a big buildings and lights and sounds and projectors. Those are great tools, as we said earlier, but it's the lives that they lived in front of the world that showed them how good God was. People would walk up to them on the street and be like, what is up with you? You should have punched that guy in the face, but you didn't. What is up with you? Jesus. It was the lives that we lived that provoked the question. Where we talk different. We love deeper. We forgive greater. We hope stronger. We pray with devotion and faith because we have allowed the Holy Spirit to actually transform us. Not because we're nice. That eventually comes out. We're not supposed to be mean. Not because we're cool or relevant. Not because we've ticked all the right boxes on the behavior list. Because we've actually let the presence of God fill us and begin transforming our hearts. I'm going to invite Michelle, the Pastor Michelle, to come on up. I'm going to end with this. At the beginning, I read Acts chapter 2, verse 42, 43, 43. And there's a whole part of Acts chapter 2 I skipped, and that was on purpose. This is what happened before all that great list of a great community that we just read. Acts chapter 2. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Why? Why were they all together in one place? Because they were doing what Jesus told them to do. They were following instructions. Jesus said, go, what? Go and wait and pray, and I'm going to send a helper. And they said, okay. They didn't panic. They didn't go back to what they knew before. They didn't go back to their old lives or their old comforts. They didn't have, you know, Acts chapter 3 or, or Acts chapter 4 or Corinthians or Ephesians or Revelation. They didn't have the story played out. All they had was the words of Jesus. And that was enough. Okay. But I bet there was a couple moments where they're up there praying like, is, is the help coming? I don't know how many days it was. Can't remember exactly, but they had to wait. But they trusted that Jesus was actually good news. Suddenly, like a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They seemed what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other language as the Spirit enabled them. God poured himself out on his people and gave them new hearts exactly like he promised he would. The kingdom community cannot be a kingdom community without surrender to the presence of God. 
But a kingdom community cannot be a kingdom community either without the obedience to the presence of God. They go together. Isaiah 43 says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Transformation. It's a caterpillar willing to go into a cocoon and transform into a butterfly. Old to new. It's redemption. It's restoration. It's transformation. Do we perceive it? I want to create some space to respond, and we're going to do, don't worry, if anybody's anxious, we are going to do the vote, but we're about Jesus more than we are a vote right now. hey Do we actually trust Jesus is good news. Right, like that's really what this comes down to. Do we trust that Jesus is actually good news? Because if we do, this is our deepest joy. Here, God, take it. Because if we actually trust that Jesus is good news, we can trust him with the outcome. So maybe for you this morning, there's really two responses to this. Maybe for you this morning, it's a, it's a, it's a, maybe it's a surrender to the Holy Spirit. The presence of God is saying, I know all the right things, I've done all the right things, but there's this life, there's this core to life, this deeper work that I might be missing out on. Maybe for you it's just saying, maybe it's waiting in the upper room, just like the disciples to say, okay, Jesus, here I am. But maybe for some of you, that has happened, but there's this, there's this like, you're kind of like, it happens, but then you're like, mm, nope. Uh, yeah, that's too uncomfortable. Not going to do it. Maybe the next step for you is obey, obedience. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to change the way I talk by your help. You know, there's that friend that I need to talk to. You're right. It's, it's, it's walking it out. Because we can't follow Jesus if we're not following Jesus. That's not a headspace belief thing. That's a life thing. 